We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. Sabonis down the lane with authority. Oh, Miles Turner bringing that smoke. Lonsford, skies high for the jam. Warren lets it fly. Yes! T.J. Warren is not human. The Setting the Pace podcast had Kevin Pritchard on. Well, you got it setting the pace, and I think that's terrific. What's going on, Pacer Nation? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. I'm your host, Alex Golden, and joining me today, as he always does, he's not Carl Malone, but he's here to deliver. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael J. Fachi. Fachi, what's going on, brother? Alex, life is good. I think it's extra good in Pacer Nation right now because we don't have a thing to complain about right now. It almost feels like it's going too good. Well, we'll... uh we might have some fans complaining after we answer their questions today, but we are doing a mailbag podcast today, and we got close to 25, 26 questions. So we're going to do our very best to answer as many as possible. If we do not get to your question, we will do a part two of this. So have no fear. We will do part two of this at another time. I know Fachi might not be here next week because of the 4th of July uh, week, but we have some great things in store for you. So, Fodge, did you want to talk about anything in particular before we get to our questions? Uh, no, I would just say, hey, it seems like the latest, hottest topic is uh, if Damian Lillard wants out or not. I know a lot of you guys have been sending some trade packages. So just feels like the, the, the next you know guy to fantasize over <laughs> if he's coming to the Pacers or not. Look, we all know it's a long shot, but we're all just having some fun with it. Yeah, so I gotta get something off, gotta get something off my chest because I got really annoyed last night. Like I just kept seeing people like share their thoughts on it, and I don't I don't care if people share their thoughts, especially Pacer fans. Like that is who my target audience is. That's who my majority of my followers are. Everybody knows this. So I just said for what it's worth, no Pacer on you know no current player on this Pacers team should be untouchable in a trade for Damian Lillard. And I had some, you know, people that don't even follow me commenting and they're like, you need to calm down. I'm like, calm down about <laughs> what? I mean, I'm talking to a fan base that follows me, the Pacer fan base, just saying, like, I, I just don't like there's no Damian Lillard is better than any player on the Pacers. Like, you don't yeah. you don't just oh, I'm not giving up Sabonis or I'm not giving up Turner. I'm not giving up Levert for him. Like, no, you don't, you don't say that. You know, this is a guy that is a franchise changing player. And then I had someone say, well, way to state the obvious. It's like, well, look, some people were arguing that we shouldn't trade certain players for him. I'm just like, okay, this is 
All I'm saying is I'm addressing the people that I see conversating in a general in a general tweet. And people are just saying some stupid stuff in my comments. I didn't say anything back, but good grief, people, just calm down. Like it's not like that big of a deal. It's just pipe dream stuff right now, anyway. So just relax. That's all I gotta say, Fudge. Oh no, I couldn't agree more. Look, like I said, we're all just having some fun with it. We're all allowed to fantasize. And just as you mentioned, as much as we love these players on the current roster, no one is untouchable. We're talking about one all-star and a bunch of, you know, potential all-stars if they take a next step forward. Damian Lillard is arguably a top five player in the NBA. He's an MVP candidate. So everyone's got to be on the table at that point. Absolutely, Fachi. So do you want to get into our questions now? Let's do it. All right. Our first question comes from a huge follower of our podcast at Hugh Pacers, Aaron M. He says, if the Pacers decide to move on from one of Sabonis or Turner, do you think that happens before or after the draft? Fachi, take it away. I would like to think it happens after the draft because you don't want to get rid of one of them and then kind of not have your bases covered. If the Pacers are, say, to draft what feels like the millionth center in the last few years, then, you know, at that point, you got to feel like one of these guys is on the way out. But it could also lower the other's trade value. So if the Pacers bring in a center, you got to be feeling like, okay, well, everyone probably knows they're getting rid of a center, but I just like to have that insurance in place of, look, you know what, let's first find out who we're drafting and then take the move from there. What's your thoughts on it? Well, I think when you look at this, if they do it before the draft, that probably means it's going to be like, I mean, I don't know, he said before or after, he didn't say on the draft night, so... You know, to me, like before, maybe before our pick, like there's a possibility, sure, that the Pacers could try to package Turner and something to move up in the draft. Obviously, the one we've talked about the most is the Golden State one involving Andrew Wiggins moving up to seven. I think that that's a decently smart move to get up to seven if you really like a guy. But at the end of the day, it just depends on what you got there. And clearly, we know Golden State wants to win now. Everybody that I've been listening to podcast-wise that covers a draft has said they got their eyes on what the Warriors are doing because they got 7-14, and 14, they could do a lot of different things, and they've got James Wiseman, a guy they're not super high on. So, or I wouldn't say they're not super high on, it just doesn't fit their timeline. So Exactly. So, so yeah, for me personally, I, I think that you're probably right, Fosh. It probably would be more likely to happen after the draft, but at the same time, it could be a draft day trade. I, I would lean more towards draft day trade than before or after, if that's a, if that's a fair answer. Yeah, I mean, look, we've talked about it on this show how much we would love a higher pick. And obviously at that point, hey, if that's where the Pacers are going, then sure, it would have to be either on draft day or before. But, you know, there, there's going to be a lot uh, a lot of talk beforehand. And I think there's going to be a lot of different trade scenarios that get us excited along the way. So I hope these answers are decided sooner rather than later. Because even for a guy like Miles Turner and Sabonis, you don't want this kind of hanging over their head all year because Turner, he's been subject to trade rumors for what feels like three full years now. Yeah, no, you're, there's no doubt about that, Fatsha. Let's move on to our next question. Like I said, we got a lot. This cr- this comes from at World. He says, what trade do you like better, Brandon, in- Brandon Ingram for Turner Lamb in 13 or Lonzo Ball signing trade and then Brandon Ingram, Brog- uh, Brandon Ingram for Brogdon Turner Lamb in 13? So the kind of – let me reread that again because I feel like I stumbled over what I was saying. So this first trade is Brandon Ingram for Turner Lamb in 13. The second one is Lonzo Ball on a sign-in trade with Brandon Ingram for Brogdon Turner Lamb in 13. Fachi, do you like either of those trades? The, the first one is definitely not happening. There's no way the Pelicans are trading Brandon Ingram for Turner Lamb in the 13th pick because 
that franchise has already had a tough time keeping, you know, stars. I don't want to label Brandon Ingram a star. He's definitely paid like one, but he's a really good player. Former number two overall pick. You know, you're talking about Lamb, who's kind of a throw in the 13th pick, which is so up in the air at times. We're hoping that we nail it. And then Turner, who we know the Pelicans like, but it just doesn't seem like the Pelicans would do that. That second deal, getting Ingram and Ball in the deal, I feel like that sounds like two really good players, but what's the Pelicans really going to be left with at that point? I would imagine Zion at that point is probably going to want out. I mean, we've already heard rumblings of that. So I just don't think the deal makes sense for New Orleans. But, I mean, I very much love Ingram's game, and I think that Lonzo Ball is a player we've talked about on here where he's taken a good step forward. And it'd be exciting, but uh, I just don't think that happens. Yeah, there's no way this deal happens in my opinion. I mean, just recently – there was a trade that, or there was a rumor that came out that basically said the Pelicans are willing to part ways with Brandon Ingram for Damian Lillard. You know, yeah. you're not you're not parting with Brandon Ingram to get Miles <laughs> Turner or you know Lamb Malcolm Brogdon. Like the 13th pick, like the, they don't want the 13th pick. They don't want draft picks. They want to get better. They have, they have too many guys. They're still trying to get better. Right. I mean, their whole goal, in my opinion, is to try to win as soon as possible because that time is ticking with Zion Williamson. He's already reportedly unhappy there after just a year. So I just, to me, it's really, really hard to sit there and fathom them doing this trade. But I mean, if I'm picking between the two, I would clearly want both ball and Ingram, but yeah, I, I, I'll just put it this way. I'm going to come out here and say this. A lot of people are wanting us to break up the double bigs. I'm right there behind you, but I still, I am very much in the camp of, I'd rather move Brockton than continue to go with him. Long term, I don't know how you feel about that, Fudge, but I've soured a bit. I have. I, I have. just there's just some things about Brogdon's game that maybe if he plays off ball more and he's not the point guard and they kind of give the ball to Lavert a little bit more, I might like him better. But there's just something like I just like I wouldn't mind if he wasn't on this team going forward. And I don't mean to say that negatively uh, to like to Brogdon because he's a good player. I just feel like they could use a different direction at point guard than than Malcolm Brogdon. I completely agree. I mean, I, I've said it before. He's not a true point guard. There's really not many true point guards. But then you start to wonder, what is he? And he's a good player, but it's hard to fit him in a certain category. And I know we're playing positionless basketball now in the NBA. That's the hottest thing going. But it, it just feels like if you're talking about a point guard, I, I kind of like to – I want to see more of Karis LeVert handling the rock more yeah. than I want to see Brogdon handling it more. So at that point, hey, he becomes expendable. Uh, I think that it's great that he wanted to be in Indiana. I think that still – I like the move that we made for him. I think that he's paid very accordingly. Uh, I'm fine with the draft pick that we gave up to get him. Uh, multiple. I think there's a first and a second, I believe. Uh, or actually multiple seconds. Uh, but still, it, it was a good move for the Pacers. They did it. But they didn't know that Karis LeVert would be in the picture. And, you know, moving forward, I think that he becomes a trade chip that other teams may value him a bit more than the Pacers do. Yeah, no doubt about it. Let's move on to our next question here. This comes from Jordan S underscore 33. He said, what veterans could the Pacers add that are realistic to get? I don't know if you've got your uh, your free agents listed up there yet, Fudge, but um, I'll answer this one first because I think we talked about it the last time we did cover some of the free agents and looked at some of those veteran guys. And the guy that makes the most sense to me is Jared Dudley. This is a guy that will probably not play very many games if he plays at all, but he's a true leader. I think he really helps, you know, bring a core together. I think that that's something this Pacers team could desperately need. So he would be my pick for a veteran that could help on a cheap deal. 
Yeah, Jared Dudley is someone who there's a reason why he's still in the league despite not playing much. It's because he's a great locker room guy who knows his role. He was big on, on the Nets a couple years ago, helping those young guys out. I mean, they really, a lot of guys gave him a lot of credit. Uh, another veteran, which I don't think the Pacers are going to be able to get, but a guy that I've wanted for a while is Jeff Green. Jeff Green, he continues to amaze me that he's not done. He keeps taking these minimum deals, but he's produced everywhere he's went. He's going to be a free agent. I could easily see him re-signing with Brooklyn, but that's someone that has interested me for, for quite some time. I mean, to a, to a lesser degree, a guy like Taj Gibson could yeah. be available for cheap. Taj Gibson is another guy where you're going to get good defense out of him. He's been around the block. I mean, I, I see him signing for cheap. You know, he's been on some some minimum deals. I know that I think the Knicks had had cut him and then brought him back on a minimum deal. And that's someone that I'd also be looking at for a cheap veteran option. Yeah, and one that's already in our back, you know, backyard is TJ McConnell. You know, this is a guy that's been a good leader on the team. I mean, clearly he's not like maybe the most vocal leader, but I still think he provides that leadership type of role, especially for some of these young guys. But at the same time, I want – I'm going to make another hot take here too. I, <laughs> well, I'll save it. I'll save it. But okay. I, I like TG McConnell a lot, but I don't want him to get in the way of some of the younger guys. If we do go that route of trying to get some more, you know, talent in at the point guard position than what he brings, but better in role wise, I really do believe TG McConnell is that guy. So let's move on to our next question. This one comes from at bad uh, Jorge. I'm sorry if I say this wrong. Why not? So he says, do you think the hiring of Rick Carlisle will attract uh, interesting free agents? And if so, which one should Pacers pick up? Look, (laughs) you would love if it would, but coaches rarely make that kind of splash in free agency where guys are just absolutely fired up. Uh, I think the one thing where it could make a difference is uh, Mavericks players that played under Carlisle, like, for instance, Doug McDermott, but that's already a guy that's familiar with the Pacers. So I don't think it's going to have as much of an impact on free agency. I think it's going to have the big impact on this current roster and getting the most out of them. Yeah, I mean, Tim Hardaway Jr. is a guy that makes some sense. Yeah. If they were to do a sign-and-trade for him, but how would, have he, to be. Mm-hmm. how would he fit into this roster? And does not doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Like you could do, like I don't know, if, I don't even know if Pacer fans would want this, but like Hardaway Jr. for Miles Turner or a sign and trade just to match up salaries. But does Hardaway Jr. really fit that starting lineup very well? I don't know because, nah. yeah, it's just kind of like eh, it's a man move. It doesn't really move exactly. the needle at all. So I don't think the Pacers do that. But yeah, I mean, looking at some of these people, Carlisle's been a coach for 13 years with uh, the with Mavericks, and prior to that, he was with Detroit and Indiana. But I'm just saying. Over the last 13 years, he's had a handful of guys play for him. So maybe there's guys that he liked that he didn't want to give up, that they did give up on. And maybe there's guys that connected well with him. So we'll see what happens. But, yeah, I mean, a name that I kind of forgot played for Dallas was Harrison Barnes before they traded him to Sacramento. Very true. And I liked him in Dallas. It was just kind of a weird fit. So that's where I think – what I think about that. But, you know, it's it's just tough because – Pacers don't really have a lot of money this this offseason to, no. to pick up anybody. You know, you probably have to wait until two more years before they really have that significant amount of money when all the guys come off the books that we have currently under contract. So, anyway, let's move on to our next question. This comes from David Matillo. He said, do the Pacers have a package that can net them Dame? He throws out a trade here of Sabonis, Brogdon, and three first-round picks, top five protected. 
for Damian Lillard? Does that get the job done, Fudge? Uh, I don't know. I don't think we'd be allowed to top five protect those, to tell you the truth. Yeah. I don't. Uh, I don't want to – look, that Paul George trade to the Clippers was just so – so pick heavy. And I mean, between Shea, Shea Gilgis Alexander, uh, Danilo Gallinari, and like seven first round picks. I mean, it, it set the bar so high that to tell you the truth, I kind of feel like Dane might be in that, that same kind of trade package where you're going to need a lot of first round picks, but they're not going to be able to be top five protected. Uh, and I think the starting point for guys, for Pacer fans that don't want to include Sabonis, I'm sorry, but Sabonis is going to have to be included in just about every deal, I would think it's going to be either Sabonis and Brogdon or, you know, Sabonis and Warren and TJ Warren, and then a boatload of picks. So, and then look, the, the next part is, is the Port, Portland's probably going to do right by Dame if they were to move him. And I just don't know if Indiana is going to be anywhere near the top of that list. So it, I just don't think it's going to happen guys. Yeah. I mean, here's what I'll say. Like there, maybe there's a trade package here from Indiana that gets them there. But if I'm trading Damian Lillard for a bunch of picks, I don't want guys that are going to help me be competitive. And if I'm looking at the Pacers roster, like, look, if I got Sabonis and Brogdon, like, look, it might not be, you know, equivalent to what Dame is clearly, but they're still going to get you wins Mm -hmm. and you're not really going to become a tanking team. So I think when I'm looking at maybe trading Damian Lillard, if I want to stay competitive, maybe I look at that. But if I want to look to kind of do a reset rebuild because they did sign Chauncey Billups to a five-year deal, I think there's, you know, some like, hey, we might rebuild here for a couple of years if we do trade Dame. Who is that guy that's on a bad team or that could be moved that the team thinks they can build around, but they're going to have to tank for a little bit? Like that's kind of where I'm looking at. This and I look at a couple of teams that have picks, and New Orleans is a team that has picks from the Lakers and the Bucks. How good those picks are, we don't know, but they go out quite a bit, so they could trade a lot of future picks. Clearly, OKC has a buttload of picks, we know that, but I don't think OKC makes a ton of sense for Dane. But I do think no, New Orleans does. It does if you're going to include Zion, you know, if it's yeah. going to be a deal like that, because at that point, New Orleans, I think the fact that Dame is signed for a few years. And you do have other pieces there, like you know Ingram and stuff. It, it, it's it's more intriguing because I do think that Portland would love to build around Zion and picks. Yeah. But you know, yeah. And in addition to that, Fotch, I just think like if you look at a team like Philadelphia, say they want to, the Portland Trailblazers are still want to win big, and you know Ben Simmons wants out. Well, look, you could do a Ben Simmons for Dame Lillard swap because look how young Ben Simmons is. He's a really talented player, but they also have pieces like Tyrese Maxey and. Uh, uh, who's the guy that they got from uh, Washington from college? I can't think of his name right now. A real good defensive player. Uh, oh, Matisse Thibel. Yes, Matisse Thibel. Thank you. I don't have a brain fart there. I knew where he went to college, but I couldn't remember his name. That's really bad. But um, anyway, I think that those kind of guys can make more sense for what they want because, I mean, it's a guard-heavy league. They've already got Nurkic. Like, if they don't move on from him, why would they want Savonis? It doesn't – you know, I just I, – I understand why everybody wants Damon. Like, hey, this is, this is a guy you get everything for, like – if I'm the Pacers and I'm looking at this as a chance to get Damian Lillard, would you be more willing to package Sabonis and Brogdon and as many unprotected first-round picks as you can, or would you rather package Turner and Brogdon and do pick swaps in every unprotected pick that you can? I mean, it just – I don't even know if that gets it done. Like, I just – Yeah, I don't think it does. I just – I don't know what they want, and I don't know if Brogdon and Sabonis is what, it, what, what they want. They might want Levert and Sabonis. For crying out loud and if the Pacers do that is that really what they want so 
easily. And here's here's the thing. It's like, look, I've seen some fans on, on Twitter saying, like, guys, you give up anything you possibly can. But if, if you're going to be giving up unprotected picks that are going every other year, this could put the Pacers in a rough spot when you start to, you know, creep to that 2024, you know, or 2026, you know, maybe 2028. I mean, the unprotected picks, I mean, James' contract, it's four years. Yeah. You know, he's going to be gone by then. It could put them in a very rough spot. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that if I'm the Pacers and I had a chance to, to make a trade for him, then I probably do it. And I probably do include all those picks. Okay. That's just me talking out loud here, but I'm not the Pacers. I'm not worried about those future picks. I mean, if I'm Kevin Pritchard, I'm trading everything I can to get him. I mean, yeah. but, I, but at the same time, he's a superstar. But at the same time, you know, you have to be very careful because who do you keep on the roster? And how does that fit in with in with this core? But at the end of the day, you can't worry about that. You just got to realize, hey, we got Dame Lord, who's a top 15, 20, 10, whatever you want to put him. I don't know where I'm going to rank him at because there's too many players to rank at this point. But, I mean, he's a top-level guy. There's no doubt about it. He, he's a game changer. And I just – here's one thing I didn't say because I was, didn't know if it would make a lot of sense, but do we think that he meshes very well with Rick Carlisle? knowing the style of play Rick Carlisle likes to play, he's kind of been known to be a micromanager, and it seems like guys that have been under him have kind of gotten frustrated with him a little bit with how much he tries to kind of control the offense. I mean, if you're telling Dame Lillard what to do, it just seems like that might be a little bit out of his, uh, not comfort zone, but might just be a little bit out of his uh, wheelhouse. It's definitely possible, but at least Carlisle has, you know, a high IQ offensively in this league. So, I mean, Dame is coming from, you know, Portland over the last few years. They've been a high-level offensive team. Not a great defensive team. So at least there's that going for them. Um, you know, just like when you mentioned before, it would be important that there would still be able to be some decent pieces left to make that run. So I guess if it is draft picks that you have to include more of and you can keep, you know, the T.J. Warrens, uh, you know, Karis LeVert and maybe Miles Turner and you have to part with, you know, Sabonis, Brogdon and a boatload of picks, then yeah. You know, you do that, but you just have to make sure, you know, hey, you, if you were able to land this guy, you better still have some pieces to go all in and win a championship because then at that point, you know, we can't have conference finals be as good as it gets. Yeah, I, and like I said, I just think there's teams that have better packages than the Pacers, so it would really just have to come down to teams aren't willing to part with as much as the Pacers are, but I just – I don't think that will happen. So um, let's move on. we got some more questions. This comes from AKA – underscore morning he said with carlisle on board and him not uh i'm trying to read this i don't know what this word says but uh oh being known for being particular adept at player relations do you you guys think we might try to bring back brian shaw as an assistant or maybe even david west personally i would love either of them on our coaching staff would you guys like it too i mean i would love to welcome david west back i think that'd be great however David West is one of the founders of the Professional Collegiate League. It was supposed to launch last year, but due to COVID, it didn't happen. So I do think he's kind of put a lot of his chips into that league. As it relates to Brian Shaw, look, the Pacers had somewhat interest in at least interviewing him for a head coaching job. I know he was the only guy that at least got a phone call. So I don't think that he's going to want to leave for, to, to be an assistant. He's the head coach of the G League Ignite team. They're going to have the top prospects moving forward, the guys that are, you know, going pro uh, but are, you know, playing in the G League. So I do think that's a pretty good job that if he's successful at that, I think he could ride that to a head coaching job in the NBA. So I don't see him taking an assistant job. But, Alex, you know, we, we've been uh, we've been uh, 
you know, pushing for it. We would love for Al Jefferson to come back and be on the sidelines. Yeah. I think that, hey, if, if instead of David West, we can get Al Jefferson, I love that given the fact that he played with Turner and Sabonis and was their veteran. Yeah, if we can get both, that'd, even, that'd be even oh, better. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. know, just to get some former guys on this team that understand this franchise and this front office. Like David West, he's a guy that I think the Pacers reached out to about maybe joining the coaching staff a few years ago, and I don't think he was much interested at that time, but he's got a connection with T.J. Warren. So as long as Warren's here, I think David West will still be in the picture somehow, but maybe in like uh, not not a label rule, like just kind of like, uh, you know, a T.J. Warren mentor type thing, like, you know, maybe come and talk to the guys if they need him to, but not a guy that's going to be on full staff unless he wants to be. I mean, that's up to him. I, I really think the ball is in his court there. I think Al Jefferson makes a ton of sense. From everything he told us, his relationships with Kevin Pritchard and Chad Buchanan, playing with Miles and Domas, I mean, he makes too much sense. And another name I'll throw out here too, Fudge, um, not really a, a player's coach, but a guy that has connections with Rick Carlisle um, is Dan Burke. <laughs> you know, he left last season for Philadelphia and Doc Rivers. I'm not sure what the contract looks like, but they've been together two different stints now when they were with the Pacers. There's a possibility that they realize they missed out on Burke and we can maybe see Dan Burke back here. If, if, if Rick Carlisle is willing to make that phone call and see what he can do to get him here. Woo, Alex, you are on the verge of getting me fired up right now. If Dan Burke <laughs> returns, give him the key to the city because that man the is more valuable. The city. <laughs> that man is more valuable than he's ever been before because when he stepped away, everything crumbled defensively. What we saw last year was disgusting. And Philly, hey, they wrote a real good defense. And Dan Burke deserves far more credit than when he got when he was in Indiana. And I would love to have him back. Yeah, no, okay, so we're on board there. Al Jefferson, David West, Dan Burke, that's a good start to your assistant coaching staff, and I'll throw some more names out later if we have questions upon that. But um, moving on, we got a question from Ivan. I'm not even going to try to pronounce your at because it is a name that I cannot pronounce, and I apologize, but his question is, how big of an impact will Rick Carlisle have in the draft in trading this upcoming season, Fauci? You know, I really don't know how much impact coaches tend to have in draft picks. A lot of them really say that they – they don't have an impact on that. I, I still, in my mind, I always think your head coach should be informed yeah. of, you know, at least kind of in the discussion a little bit. Uh, I think Rick Carlisle being a veteran coach, that's obviously very valued by the Pacers contract wise and going on his third stint. Um, I, I would like to hear that he at least had some type of say on what he thinks this team's missing, but I don't think that Rick Carlisle by any means is going to be calling the shots on who they pick. Yeah, no, I agree with that, Fachi. And I do think that Carlisle, though, will have some say. I, don't, I hope so. I don't think that it's going to be like, oh, here's what we're doing. But I think they'll be like, hey, here's the kind of the direction we're thinking. What do you think mm -hmm. of this player? Just get his take because he's the guy that's going to be coaching them. Do you think he makes sense for your roster, how you want to build your yep. team? You know, which direction we're going? I think that everybody at this point, I mean, because they brought him and they paid him so much, they're trying to win now. So, They've got to figure out a way like, hey, does this guy fit this system that he's going to run? And, you know, they've got to do their due diligence with their scouting and they've got to pick the best prospect available that they think fits this roster. But I think having, you know, just just having Rick's opinion matters, in my opinion. Same with trades. Like if it comes out to a trade and he's like, well, I think this makes us worse, then they really got to consider it. I understand that 
Chad and Kevin had to do their job and Kelly has to do her, her job of communicating with everybody in the front office and saying, Hey, here's what we're going to do. And Herb Simon has to be on board with it. But I think, you know, with Rick Carlisle, he's a guy that's seen a lot of basketball and he knows a lot of these players because he's been in the league for a long time. You would be almost foolish not to ask his opinion. So I do think he will have some bit of a say, but I don't think it's going to be as much as people are making it out to be where he's, kind of like up in the front office calling the shots to Kevin Pritchard. I don't think it's going to be that. It's going to be more of a consultant type of thing. I think where they just kind of share their thoughts and, and get his feedback and move on with it. That's how I see it. And that's how I hope it is because, you know, look, I think that he deserves the right to be consulted. Um, and, you know, the front office, I think they really need to nail this pick. You know, I think if we heard that it was Carlisle's pick and he hit it, I don't know, I think we might lose a little bit of faith in the front office's drafting, uh, you know, um, position. But, hey, we'll, we'll see. I just hope that he's at least informed. Yeah, I, I think he will be. I think he will be. So another question here from AKA underscore morning. He said, before Carlisle, I think it was safe to say Indy would have preferred to re-sign TJ McConnell instead of Doug McDermott. But given how Rick has praised Doug in the past, do you think guys that might have uh, – you think that uh, that might have altered um, trying to resign Doug and making a trade to make that financially possible? So do you think they're going to try to make a trade so they can retain Doug instead of, you know, letting him walk and sign T.J. McConnell? Well, the Pacers, I think, can still potentially retain Doug, you know, under the mid-level exception. It depends. It's still an increase on what he was making before, but it's just a matter of, you know, if he's willing to take that. I mean, I want to say mid-level, I believe, is like 9.25 starting salary uh, per year. So and McDermott's coming off making $7 million. So it is only a slight, you know, pay bump, but at the same point, you're talking about you get to stay, you get to play for a coach you've played for before, you get to stay in a comfort zone of, of guys that you're comfortable with, a.k.a. the connection he has with Sabonis. So yeah, yeah. I do think that maybe, you know, maybe I would lean a little bit that they could, you know, try and bring back McDermott a little bit more now that Carlisle's here. But the cost between McDermott and McConnell, it could almost be – McDermott could be twice as much for all we know. Yeah, I mean, McConnell's coming off of, I believe, it was $3.5 million last year. McDermott, I, I fully believe, is getting, you know, in an open market, I could easily get well over 10 I know at one point I was saying $13 million. I could still see around $11, $12 million per year. I really could. The Pacers, they're just going to ha- kind of have that mid-level exception to work with. Unless, yes, they could make a trade, but I don't know if you really make a trade to then bring Doug McDermott back. You know, it's kind of like if it doesn't work well, – well, they have – here's the thing, Fox. They have his bird rights, okay? Yeah. And if they were to make a trade to get them a little bit more under the tax, then they could easily bring him back. So, for example, the trade that we've been talking about a lot with our friends from Charlotte is a Turner for P.J. Washington swap, okay? So let's say that they do that without adding additional salary to it, like a Terry Rozier, and we add an Aaron Holiday to make it match pretty evenly. Let's just say we give them Turner for P.J. Washington. That gives us $13 million of cap relief. Now you can use that money with, to not go over the tax to bring back Doug McDermott and, and re-sign him without having to use your you know your MLE or anything like that. So that is a way they could go about it. And I think that's what that's what our man AKA underscore morning was saying here. Do they make a trade to make that financially possible? They could do like Jeremy Lamb and a couple second round picks to a salary dump, you know, that kind of thing to get him off the books. Maybe if they love got, it. 
Love if they, it. Yeah, if they value Doug more, something like that. You know, that's that's all I'm saying. Like, that's the way they could go if they want to bring back Doug and possibly both TJ McConnell. And if they're going to keep Sabonis, then I think bringing Doug back makes a lot of sense. But if they're going to trade Sabonis, then you probably don't want to bring Doug back. You know what I mean? Because of how yeah. well they played together. So that's where I see that. But let's move on. We have another question from David Matillo. He is all in on the fake trades, and he actually deleted one when I was laughing. He put a trade out, and everybody said, no, 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 and he deleted <laughs> it real quick. I wanted to see what it was because I forgot. But this one is um, uh, Ben Simmons trade. He said, should the Pacers pursue Ben Simmons to pair in the front court with Miles Turner? He has Jeremy Lamb and Sabonis going to the Blazers. He has C.J. McCollum, Aaron Holiday, and a top-10 Pacers protected pick going to Philadelphia, and the Pacers getting Ben Simmons. So, Fachi, would you be interested in that trade? So it's uh, basically it's uh, Jeremy Lamb, DeMontis Sabonis, a top ten pick from us is going out, right? Yeah, and Aaron Holland for Ben. Oh, Simmons. and Aaron Holland for Ben Simmons. Ah, uh, man, you know what? I- I'm just I'm I'm a lower than I've ever been on Ben Simmons at this point right now. I really am. Uh, the money right there is it tips the scale too much for me. It just seems that. I don't know how much better he's going to get. I would imagine he gets better, but does he ever get good enough to match the dollars that he's going to be making? Because at that point, you know what you're getting out of Sabonis. You really do. I'm not worried about giving up, you know, Jeremy Lamb, Aaron Holiday, the, the pick, whatever. But at, at that point, it's it's not a bad deal. It's not a bad deal, but I, I'm still, I'm very, very hesitant. I really am. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I like Ben Simmons a lot. I, I think that he can make a lot of difference on this team. He's a good player. Anybody that says he's not a good player is just recency bias. And look, what he did in the fourth quarter was not great. I completely understand that him being played off the court is a bad look. It's not something you really want. Like, But at the same time, I think his defensive impact and what he brings to that side of the, the floor is significantly better than what, what Sabonis brings, obviously. So – I've said this before. If you're trading for Ben Simmons, I don't think you put him with Sabonis because that puts two non-shooters out there on the roster so or on the floor. So that's not the look that I would go for. However, I, I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I'm not totally sold on Simmons. But if I want to break up the double big and I get a guy that's 24 years old that can be that four, that can guard guys for us, I just I don't want him to be an egomaniac if he becomes the guy on our team, if that makes sense. I don't. I don't know if I trust him to be the most, the highest paid player and the guy on the team. I still think that this has to be a collective group. And he, to me, is not the guy that I want to be the leader of my franchise. And I don't necessarily think that's fair to criticize him because he's never been given the chance to be that guy, be that face. But I personally just don't think that's it, especially when you have reports coming out saying that he's just kind of lazy sometimes, you know, doesn't put in the extra work. I mean, that's just people saying stuff. I've never said that or, you know, heard that from Ben Simmons. But, I mean, Stephen A. Smith, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, read that on the air, that he's just, like, not – does not care. Like, I, I just don't know what to think of Ben Simmons, and that's where I'm stuck, Fudge. I uh, know. Like I said before, I've just – I've never been lower on him to the point where it just feels like – look, no one's going to say that Sabonis is better or has more potential than Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons has a lot of potential, so very young could get – could get much better, but it's like, man, it's a bold move if you make that trade and just and Ben Simmons doesn't get better. So he's got a lot of work ahead of him. Uh, when you talk about the lazy reports, I mean, it's kind of hard to not kind of buy into it a bit when he everyone's kind of been criticizing his shot for a long time and just nothing's gotten better. 
guys shooting with two different hands. I mean, it's like he shoots with a different hand when he's closer to the rim than, than when he's further out on jumpers. It, it's gotten really strange. So I'm just not on the, the Ben Simmons train right now. I'm not. All right, well, let's take a quick break. We've got a lot more questions to get to, but I want to reset here and uh, we'll come right back after this. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, Fachi, we are back. And uh, yeah, we got some more questions for you guys. So just had to take a quick break so we can kind of, you know, let our thoughts be refreshed. But this comes from this comes from at Chubb underscore Dalton. He says, What do you think the biggest move we can make this offseason to improve the roster is? Biggest move, I mean, it would have to be by trade, because like we talked about before, you know, free agency-wise, we're limited dollar-wise, so it's going to have to come with breaking up the bigs. I really do think that that kind of holds the the most, uh, the most biggest ability to create cap room. I know, I know your idea before, when you mentioned if it is Miles Turner for a P.J. Washington, maybe there's a pick involved, I don't know, but that, that would create, you know, close to $15 million in salary then that allows the Pacers to be some players in free agency. But for right now, I think that that's got to be, it's got to be through trade. I think the guys that, you know, Brogdon and one of the bigs are probably going to be the only guys that I really see on the move. Um, free agency wise, that mid-level exception is, is, is really what we have to work with. So uh, yeah. it would have to be trading a center or the mid-level exception. And uh, you know, that's kind of really all we got. Yeah, and I mean, I'm not trying to overcorrect you, but even if we did trade Turner for P.J. Washington, it would not free up cap space. It would only free up uh, cap space under the tax for us to bring back McDermott because we would still be over the cap um, at that point. So, unfortunately, I mean, you'd have to re renounce all your cap holds and all that with, um, with uh, McDermott, McConnell. But even if we just got rid of Turner for P.J. Washington, I don't think we'd have enough cap space, Fodge. So, to even sign anybody, you'd have to trade Brogdon away to a team or somebody like that just to get off the books to have cap space. That's why when we looked at that earlier, that's why I was saying like, if you traded them to like Dallas and San Antonio and then cut back like minimum contracts for about 5 million average, it would give you like 20 ish million. So that's unfortunately where we're at in terms of that, but we could still sign people to the MLE. 
Yeah. And that's maybe a look you could do. I think I think a trade is obviously the the way to go. The 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 trade that is obviously that everybody's thrown out there, it's gotta be the Golden State one. We've thrown it out there, but I've heard other people throw it out there too. It's just if there's a way the Pacers can move up to seven in this draft. Oh, I'm excited. Yeah, that gets you excited because there's a potential that a Scotty Barnes falls to seven. Um Moses Moody is a guy we love. He will definitely be there at seven. Yeah. I'd be completely shocked if he's not. I mean, there's just it just gives you more room. And if you can keep 13 as well, like that's even great. But I just I don't have a perfect trade setup. I've looked at different trade ideas and I, I just don't want to share them all yet because I don't have one that I love set in stone. But I do think that trading one of the centers and getting a player on this roster to kind of help balance it and make it more make it make more sense, that's the route you go. That's why I've really been hammering that. P.J. Washington trade because I just really like the idea of having P.J. Washington, O'Shea Brissett, Gogo Batadze, and the 13th overall pick as kind of your young core underneath the core that you have currently. But I still think all those people can contribute at this point. But when those contracts come up, now you've got another core that you can start to look to build around. And that's that's the direction I'm going, Fudge. Yeah, I mean, it's that's what's going to have to be. Is trade is really going to be our only option to make a splash. And at that point, it's it's still uh, still limited. I do think the Pacers will try and get crafty. I don't know what they could bring back in in regards to earlier in the episode when you mentioned if they did try and make a trade of like Jeremy Lamb and some second round picks to just kind of dump them and you yeah. know take back some some small stuff. I, I think that they will kind of exhaust all options to improve this team. So for that, I do think a move will be made, but we just don't know what. Yeah, and, and it's similar to the Karis LeVert trade where it was a Houston, you know, Brooklyn blockbuster. Keep your eyes out for a potential Portland deal with Damian Lillard if they have to get off somebody else's contract. Like let's say example for an example, Robert Covington all of a sudden becomes the tra- uh, available. Do you go out and make a trade for Covington? to get into that mix. You know, we traded Oladipo to Houston, but is there maybe like, oh, we'll trade Turner to get Covington and another person back? Or if Toronto gets involved in a trade, do you try to get in there and sneak somebody away from there? I mean, I think there's all these different scenarios where the Pacers could kind of be that third wheel that takes advantage of a superstar wanting out. I Um, have... I have yeah. no problem with the Pacers becoming like the leech or the third wheel of the NBA. I, I'm all for <laughs> it. We can make that our identity if we could latch on to trades and be like, look, who don't you want? Reroute them over here. You know, we'll do it because it, it worked out perfectly this year. Yeah, it, it really did. So let's move on to our next question. This comes from Sergeant Marty. He says, who in the franchise is responsible for the team's strength and conditioning? How will they address a seemingly endless list of injuries? Does the team monitor during the offseason? Those are great questions. I mean, no one really asks about this, but Josh Corbeil has been the head athletic trainer for the Indiana Pacers for a very long time, and he's regarded as one of the better ones in the NBA. So the fact that the Pacers have had all these injuries, I think a lot of it just have, happens to have with the guys that they've selected, the guys that they've traded for. Um, they've actually taken a risk on guys that have medical history, uh, injury history. You know, Brogdon was one of them. T.J. Warren was one of them, and Karis LeVert was one of them. Those are three guys that have, if you look at their career from college into the NBA, all guys have had medical uh, injury history. So I think that it's more so the Pacers kind of took a risk on them because they're a smaller market, and that's kind of the price you pay. You might not have them for the full 82-game season, but that's that's where I stand with that, Fox. I don't know if you have any other thoughts on that. No, I looked it up. There's also a Sean Wendell. He's uh, in yep. strength performance over there, so he's on the, uh, the squad as well. But like you mentioned before, 
Those are guys – look, I know it, it's a bad look for the Pacers, but what's happening with all these injuries? Most of those injuries did happen prior to coming to Indiana. The Victor Oladipo thing, yes, that was very unfortunate. You know, the quad injury did happen while as a Pacer, but the rest of the guys, hey, we, we know for a fact that those injuries happened, you know, prior. And it's unfortunate, but we can't look at the strength and conditioning coach and be like, you got to do a better job. It, it's just – Freak accidents happen when you play 82 games a year, plus preseason, plus the playoffs. I mean, some guys, if you're if you're fortunate enough, could end up playing 100 games in a year. You know, it's, yeah. that's some wear and tear on the body. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, if you want to be mad at somebody for it, be mad at the front office for going out and making trades for these guys and not looking at the medical history and, you know, going for guys that have had healthier careers. But injuries happen to every single player, and an injury can happen at any moment. These guys play a lot of games. Like you said, they put a lot of wear and tear on the body. And it, it is frustrating. I totally understand because we've had to have that as an excuse or as a reason why the Pacers didn't do as well or perform as well in the playoffs. But look at the amount of injuries that you've seen in the NBA Finals over the last five years. You know, all the injuries that have really impacted it. You know, I really think there is something to it. Just playing this many games might not be the most successful recipe for success for the NBA, but they got to get their TV, TV deals in. So, I don't know how you go about it. Maybe you limit it down to 50-some games, 60-some games, whatever, so there's more rest in between. But, yeah, there's – I mean, it's more of a frustrating thing um, than anything. So I, I understand, Sergeant Martin. I uh, I, I agree. It's, it's very frustrating for that to happen. But moving on, our man Corey Waldron from Full Access Pacers, he says, what free agent is more important, McDermott or McConnell Fachi? What are your thoughts on this? Man, I am split on this. For a while, I was just thinking, you know what, man, McConnell brings so much to the team, you know, defensively, energy-wise, he hustles, he he's always seems like a great locker room guy. But and they're both coming off career years. But the fact that McDermott does have those ties to Carlisle, he's coming off of a career year, and shooting is always going to be needed in this league. We're seeing shooters being more coveted than ever before. I, I think that I'm leaning a bit towards uh, McDermott due to the connection with Sabonis. I feel like right then and there, I think that McDermott can continue to get better in his career. While McConnell, it, it, it sounds mean to say it might have been as good as it possibly have, have been last year for McConnell. <laughs> yeah, so I was going to make this hot take earlier and I kind of stepped back away from it, but I wouldn't be upset if they got rid of McConnell. And here's why. Yeah. I, I mean, he's a good, he's a good, fun player to root for. He is. And it's not like I hate watching him play because I don't. I think he's fun. But just I know which way the NBA is heading. And while his floater is amazing, he has no three-point shot. I know uh -huh. he's working on it. But it takes him an hour to wind it up. He's a good basketball player. But at the same time, I feel like maybe because it's a little bit of both. But the backups behind him have to get better. Like Aaron Holiday, he's got to get better. And I know you can't always rely on Brogdon, like we just said, because of injury history. But McConnell doesn't miss a lot of time. He's a hustler. He's a coach's kid. He gets. He understands the game. He's an. He's really good. Okay. He's a really good player to have on your roster. I'd be okay if they brought him back, but maybe put him in a third string role and allow some of these guys that are more fit for the modern day NBA to be that point guard of the future or that backup point guard. I just. I know Mark Monteith had a really hot take. On, I believe it was the Dan Dockett show, Kevin Bowen was filling in, and he actually threw out the fact or the thought that maybe you start TJ McConnell and bring one of the bigs off the bench. And it's like, okay, that was just a little bit of a too big of a hot take for me. Yeah, like, it's pretty scorching. Yeah. And I mean, I understand like why people like him because he gets others involved, but he's undersized. Defensively, he can be a liability come playoff time. 
he's he's a good he's he's a good regular season player. That's what I'll say. And you might want that. You know, he could be that JJ Barea for the Pacers under Rick Carlisle. Like, there's a great comparison there. Not the shooter that JJ is, but just the hustler, the difference maker, the undersized guard that you know can kind of be that you know energy for the team. So I, I'm I'm saying all these things, and as I'm saying them, I'm feeling like, why are you you know regretting or are you regretting what you're saying about Teach McConnell? But honestly, I just I, I like McDermott's game better. I think it fits better with today's NBA. And I would rather pay a little bit more money to keep a guy that makes more sense for my roster than to go the cheap route and uh, keep and keep McConnell here. But yeah, I I would rather have McDermott than McConnell. But I understand the importance of teaching McConnell and what he means to this team. Definitely understand the importance. I don't want to see TJ McConnell be around long enough to become the villain. I don't want to see him get to a point where people go, he can't even shoot. Like, what is he even doing on the court playing this much? I, mm. I just want him to flourish elsewhere, get paid. I mean, if he if he's gonna if McDermott's gonna leave and it's not even a realistic option to re-sign him, and you can re-sign McConnell, like, sure, all right, that's cool. But like he's gonna be valuable to so many other teams. Uh, I just feel like this might have been the best that he could possibly play. While McDermott, we saw him literally, he was a really good slasher this year. I mean, he shot over 50% from, uh, from the field. It was actually from three-point range where his numbers were down, but no one really even cared because he still shot 38% in a down year from three. So, I mean, that's that's real good for him. I, I think that he can continue to get better. And just at, at that point, you know, it's just like, hey, if you love him, let him go. McConnell, I, I, I'll always be rooting for you. You'll always be a fan favorite in Indiana even if it doesn't work out yeah <laughs> it's it's tough man because uh it's like uh who do I want but you know at the same time I just like you said the shooting is a problem um and we saw what happened two years ago against the Miami Heat he just I I thought after game one oh they need to play McConnell more than they did in game two and it was worse so oh yeah I just I'm just not sure exactly because look if you can play off of him because you know he's not going to shoot the three and knock it down and some bonuses out there, you can do the same thing. You can really pack the paint. And then you make it just no spacing. I mean, it just it, it's easier to defend the Pacers if they don't have shooters out there on the court. And, you know, I mean, I get it. Some of these guys that have been playing have gotten better at three-point shooting, like Edmund Sumner and stuff like that. But I just don't rely on these guys to be these knockdown shooters that I hope they can be. So, anyway – Long story short, I'm moving forward, but uh, we have a nice comment here from Goran D. It's at BT underscore Pacers fan. He said, don't have any questions. Just just wanted to greet you guys. Love from Macedonia. Go Pacers. So, oh, wow. Right Thank back you. to you. Thank that. you so much, Goran. Uh, it means a lot that you're listening. And, uh, yeah, we, uh, we definitely appreciate it. So, moving on to our next question, Matthew Peck. He said, it has been stated that Carlisle's hiring means that the Pacers are in a quotations win-now mode. Can you define what that means? Secondly, if they run back the same team and assuming they are healthy, what is the ceiling for this roster? Well, I mean, win now mode means that, hey, we're not we're not going to be trading guys just to bring in draft picks, you know, just to look for the future. That These moves have to be centered around, you know, trying to, to get this team better and maximize the next two years. We've talked about the, a lot of these contracts align at the end in two years from now. So at uh, the ceiling of this team, if you don't make any moves, I, I think that the best case scenario is you make an appearance in the conference finals. 
You know, like, I don't know how that goes. Maybe you can go on, like, an Atlanta Hawks-type run where, like, you don't expect to be in the conference finals, but you end up there. If the Pacers can make a move or two, then I think that that becomes more realistic to be there. This current roster assembled, it's not a championship team. It's not. They would have a, a bunch of work to do to be able to get better because teams like, you know, Milwaukee, Brooklyn, they're not going anywhere. I mean, Philly – you know, maybe they make a move with Ben Simmons, but they're still going to be a good team. Boston's going to be a good team. I mean, there's a lot of good teams in the East. I mean, Atlanta's going to get better over the next few years. But I, I think that if you make a move or two, I think a conference finals appearance is more realistic. But getting out of the first round is definitely realistic when you bring on Carlisle and talk about, hey, we're going to make the moves to get better. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said there in terms of win now mode. I, I, I don't really think I need to explain that. It just means we're not doing what OKC did last year or what Toronto did yeah. in the season. Uh, we're, we're all in and we're kind of like the Hawks. You know, we're willing to fire our coach in the middle of the season to try to get this team to right the ship and win as many games as possible. So that's what win now means. We're not we're not trying to lose games. So in regards to what I think the ceiling of this team can be. OK, assuming everybody's healthy with this starting five. Under Rick Carlisle, I think they can be a team that gets out of the first round of the playoffs. That's Agreed. it. I don't think they make it to the conference finals. I don't think they get out of the second round of the playoffs. There's too many holes on this roster in, in terms of how they fit into the modern-day NBA. Now, they could come across a team that does face a lot of injuries, and then we get on the good side of the injury history or the injury luck, and that might get you into the conference finals. But at the end of the day, I just don't think it's going to happen with the top four in the East this year, it would be very hard for me to see the Pacers beating them in a first-round series. So that's why, I mean, even saying getting out of the first round makes me a little bit hesitant. But, yeah, I mean, there's just injuries are always bound to happen, so you're never sure exactly um, what. But assuming everybody's healthy, yeah, I mean, I think their ceiling is getting out of the first round. I'd say about 52 to 54 wins for regular season. Yeah, I mean, I think that getting out of the first round definitely seems like that's the goal for this year alone. It's like, look, it's like, A, it's obviously return to the playoffs. But B, it's like we, we want to get out of that first round. And in order to do that, the Pacers are going to have to be in that 4-5 matchup at minimum. Because, look, if you look at a series like this year with the Knicks with the fourth seed and you go in, into that matchup, that's a realistic win for the Pacers. I mean, yeah. it really was. And, and I feel like the Hawks were kind of like the team that – eventually they just went on like such a run this year that people really weren't expecting that, but the Pacers stay healthy. I mean, we've seen crazier things when TJ Warren just turned it on and was, you know, bubble Warren. I mean, something like that, unbelievable, but we, we still need to see this team just play together. So it's hard to predict, you know, a fantasy run when this team can't stay healthy for more than five games together, but I'm excited to see it happen for the first time. Yeah, no, no, no doubt about it. Let's move on. Fox. We've got some more questions we really got to get to. So, uh, this comes from Clint Coulter. He said, how confident are you on the current Pacers roster? I will answer this quickly. I'm not incredibly confident. I am about um, a 7 out of 10 confident on this team. I think running it back with this team fully healthy under Carlisle would be semi-interesting. But had they ran the same uh, roster back with Nambi Orkran, I would have had zero interest in this team. So Carlisle does intrigue me quite a bit in terms of how he is going to go about, uh, you know, making this roster work, but overall, Fotch, I, I just don't – I'm not sold on this team as currently constructed. No, I'm not sold on them doing anything. I'm sold on them, you know, being like a, a playoff team. Like it could be a seventh or eighth seed, you know, something like that. But you're going to have to make a move because 
for me, I, I'm so, I've, I've, I'm beating it like a dead horse, but I'm over the double bigs right now. I think that the team needs to change kind of the, the structure, their layout. I just think if you're fully running it back, yeah, we, we probably are still in the playing game. We're probably maybe the seventh seed, maybe the eighth seed, but it's still not a guaranteed playoff spot. That's where I would feel confident that the Pacers are. They could, you know, maybe they overachieve a little bit. They could, in a perfect scenario, get to five, maybe six, but that's not – that's not where you want to be. So they got to make a move. I think we'll be back in the playoffs, but uh, for right now, I mean, more changes need to happen. Yeah. And if you don't deal one of the double bigs or one of the bigs, excuse me, not double bigs, but if yeah. you don't deal one of the bigs, I feel like you're just kind of stunting the growth of Gogo Batadze. And you're just without a doubt. You, what, what's the point of drafting a guy in 2018, 2019, whatever the year it was, we drafted him. Was it 2019, 2020? I can't even. It's 2019. Him. Okay. Yeah. So we drafted him in 2019. This will be his third year going into the NBA. And if you have both bigs on the roster, what is he going to play? 10 minutes a night? Like, this is a guy that they said was ready to play right now. And clearly he's not. I think he's still got a lot of room to grow, but he's not going to get that growth by just playing 10 minutes a game. Like, they've got to figure out a way to get him close to 20, 20 minutes a game at minimum. And they've got to figure out a way to make this roster more adaptable. Uh, to the modern-day NBA. I mean, even Al Jefferson, a, a true big man himself, came on our podcast and just said, I just don't think the double big lineup works all that well in today's NBA. And before, I, I think if we go back a year ago when we talked to him before that, he seemed a little bit more open to that idea. Yep, the yes, he was. Time. So that's kind of like when you see a big man like Al Jefferson, a true big man, back-to-the-basket guy, you can't play two double bigs in this era of today's NBA basketball. That's, that's I got to lean on the guy that played in the league. So that's where I'm going to use my cop out for that answer. So next question, this comes from Tim Hartog. He says, Carlisle is known for not giving rookies too much playing time. Should the Pacers therefore include their 13th pick in a package trade deal to add win now material? Well, I know since the Pacers traded their pick last year, I don't believe that we would be able to trade this draft pick. I think that could, could maybe change after the fact, um, you know, maybe, yeah. I don't know if there's like an NBA rule where maybe later in the, in the season, you know, after we've you know drafted that player, then you can make a move. But uh, I, I just think at this point, the Pacers haven't picked as high as 13 in quite some time since Miles Turner. So 2015. So it, it's, it's been a while. And I think at this point, I want to see them do something with this pick. I really do. I, I think this is a good draft where at 13, you can get a talented player compared to a few other years. So I'm very interested in, in seeing what they do with this pick. I, I think that the bench has been an issue for a while that you could add an actually promising player this year to this bench at 13. Yeah, no, I mean, I here's what I don't know. I don't know if it's because I don't know if you can't trade back-to-back -back year picks or if it's just future picks like that. I don't know if I, I have to look this up and I don't want to say that you're wrong, but I wonder if they can trade this year's pick because it's currently – like in the moment, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like a future pick, if that makes sense. Like you can't trade, oh, 21, 22, 23, 24, like all in a row for a future. But if it's like the draft day, could they make that move? I'm not sure about that rule. I'll have to look that up because I'm, I'm just curious. I mean, I've never seen anybody do that or I've not paid attention if they have done it. So that could be interesting, Fudge. I think what you can do, I could be wrong here, is I think it could be one of those where you could draft a certain player but make a trade but not have the deal be official until yeah. 
whichever date. So I think that might be the situation, but I know you definitely cannot trade back to back like future picks. I know that so they could sure. select the player for the team yeah, to trade for. And, and I believe trade. that would be the only way yeah. they can make this move happen. Yeah. So, I mean, there's always loopholes around it. So technically they could trade the pick, but they'd have to make the pick before they make the trade. Okay. So, yeah. So I get what you're saying. And I, and I think that does make some sense because look, that to me says more though about what the Pacers could do with that pick in terms of who they select. I think they could select a more ready now player than someone that's a project. And I mean, I've heard the name Josh Giddy thrown out a lot. Still not a big fan of him. You know, Jalen Johnson, Zaire Williams, those are guys that I have a little bit more higher on than Josh Giddy because of their potential. But if the Pacers are trying to win now at 13, if a guy like Davion Mitchell falls or even a guy like Corey Kisper or Chris Duarte, like guys that are plug and play right away, Maybe the Pacers draft that route because they want to win and have that guy play immediately. But they tried that with Tyler Hansborough, and look what happened. So, Oof, man, that I did don't, not work out. Yeah. Great, great college player, great. Yeah, but his NBA career has been beyond forgettable. Yeah, so I mean, that's kind of why I think people are nervous about a Corey Kispert, and he's not like my favorite prospect, but he's all right. You know, I mean, I'm not gonna like, oh my gosh, freak out if they pick him, but I'm not gonna be happy about it. Shoot. So. Yeah, he can shoot. He can be your McDermott replacement. I would not be thrilled, but he can shoot. He can shoot, yes. but I don't want him to be your Doug replacement. And that's where I'm just like, don't make a silly move like, oh, we're losing Doug and free agency. We got to get Kisper because he can shoot the ball. Like, no, I mean, that's just kind of silly to pick that way. I think you pick the best talent available, figure out what happens. But like you said, Fox, we're never in the lottery. They've got a hit on this pick. Nancy Leonard even, even said that in her interview when she represented the Pacers for the draft lottery, she said, look, she's like, we're not here very often in the lottery. They, I think that they just got to make the most of this pick and pick 13 has been pretty lucky over the, over the, over the years. So I just hope Moses Moody's there and we can uh, get our guy, but um, let's move forward here. A question from Jacob Larry says, where does Brissett slot in next year? Uh, I mean, I would like to see Brissett as the backup power forward. I really would like the first backup power forward, but a lot can change if the Pacers trade one of the bigs. I mean, we don't we don't know who they will get back in return. But say you say you were to deal, you know, I don't know, Miles Turner, and you, you slide Sabonis down to, to center. At that point, I mean, what are you going to do there? Because if you're going to go with a small ball approach, you could slide Warren down on the four and open up some stuff. Brissett could play a little bit. I mean, Brissett it was kind of a Swiss Army knife at times for the Pacers. He was playing center for a while. I mean. He could do a lot, but I would prefer him, truthfully, in a bench role, like one of the one of the you know first second guys off the bench for power forward. Yeah, I think he's a great backup power forward. I mean, starting him was asking to do a little bit too much, but it was. I, I feel like at least you know now, like, hey, if he does need to start for a few games because of an injury, you can do that. Or if a matchup makes more sense to start him over one of the bigs, and you say, hey, we're going to bring you off the bench for this game. Like, hey, you can do that. But at the end of the day, yeah, like I think even if they trade one of the bigs, I still think it comes off the bench and you move yeah. Warren down to the four. So I agree. He is a backup four that has potential to play some three, but I think he can be a contributor on this team. I think he's definitely in the rotation next year. Without a doubt, has to be in the rotation. He was one of the only bright spots towards the end of the season. That guy, when you, whenever he, he did anything the Pacers asked him to do to fill in, and I loved what I saw out of him. I'm very excited to see him take a step forward this year, but I just think that we shouldn't get too far ahead of ourselves. I think Brissett coming off the bench is perfect. Absolutely. So this one comes from at Indy Pacers NBA. Do you believe that Goga is ready to be the second center if we trade Turner or Sabonis? 
So I saw this question before. That's why I didn't want to chime when you're talking about Goga. But I, I, I want – I don't want to say sink or swim, but I want to see Goga be the second center. I want to at this time going into year three, just like you mentioned. He, this man can't keep playing six to nine minutes, six to ten minutes all the time. I want to see him play the 20-plus minutes a night or at least 15-plus minutes each night, and you, you just can't really do that with three centers that you play that much. So I saw a lot of flashes at him. I did, but when you use a first-round pick on a guy that, you know, was, was you, you heard was NBA-ready, we're going into three, you know, three years into league for him, and we, we still don't know. So yeah. I want to find out, and I'm I'm willing to roll the dice this year and see if it's going to work or not. Um, because I, like I said, I think the double bigs. I think it's got to end. And Goga, at least you know right now, he he's the next man up. Yeah. So the question is, do you believe uh, that he is ready to be the second center? Okay. I don't. I don't. I don't think I believe that he's ready. I believe that he needs to play himself into being ready. He needs to be able to fail if he's going to fail, but learn on the job. Not not just play six minutes a night. You're not getting better at that point, really. I mean, you're getting a little bit better, but I, I think that's something that we have to do. Yeah, I would say I don't believe that he's ready to be the second center, but. I think we have to find out if he exactly. is going to be that guy, if he is that level of talent that can be that backup center. But look, to me, like center position, it's continuing to not be devalued because I think it is important still. But I know that a backup center is good, but how valuable is a backup center in the league today? I mean, it's important, but it's not the most important position, right? So similar to our P.J. Washington trade thought, like if you were to trade for a guy like P.J. Washington that can play the five, then I feel more okay about it because, look, if Goga really struggles, then you can say, well, we're just going to play P.J. Washington at the back of five. And while there might be times where it's not great because he can be a little bit undersized, I mean, it gives you a little bit more hope than rolling out a guy there that's just not really fitting the style of play you want to play. So that's where I'm at with it. I just – I haven't seen enough from Goga to say that I'm ready for him to be the second center, but I'm tired of the double bigs. So, like, sure, if that means I'm ready to move on from one of the centers, then, yes, I'm ready for Goga – to be that second guy so we can just see what he is because we don't really fully know exactly what he's going to be um, as a backup center because we haven't got enough of a sample size of it, in my personal opinion. But um, let's move on to the next question. This one comes from at Gil Burner. Eddie Gil Burner coming in with a question. He says, love the pod, guys. The untouchable-ish players to me are Karis LeVert, TJ Warren, and O'Shea Brissett. I can see the Hornets, Pelicans, Timberwolves, Warriors, and Kings wanting a big. Is it time to cash in on their value? And if so, would you prefer a high pick, a young upside player, or an established veteran for one of the bigs? Fachi, take so it. He, so he said the untouchables were I, – I heard – oh, Shaper said caught my attention. That's <laughs> okay. why – you know, it was one of those where I didn't want to let out a little bit of a giggle, but come on. We love O'Shaper said. I, I think that it, it was awesome, like great, fine, but we cannot – let. Can't toss around untouchable here. So um, it was Brissett, and then who was it? Who was it? Who were the other ones? Laverne. Yeah, Karras and uh, TJ Warren. TJ Warren. Look, I think that the front office might view TJ Warren as, I don't want to say untouchable, but close to it as yeah. like that's the guy that they really pinned a lot of. Uh, a lot of the lack of success on this year is, hey, we didn't have T.J. Warren. You know, he only played three games. And Levert, I think, would probably be somewhat closer. Where they're really happy with Levert. I wouldn't deem him untouchable, but I would say they're they're not in any rush to trade him. But then when you look at, you know, those bigs, I mean, we keep coming back to it. It's inevitable that it just feels like the, one of those guys is going to be moved. 
and it feels like there is a lot of interest for Turner. I know we're starting, I think Bleacher Report or someone came up with a fake trade of like, you know, Marvin Bagley. And I think it was the ninth overall pick for Turner. And I know some people were chatting about that. And I, I just think that it's Brogdon or Turner, I think are the guys that are going to be moved. I, I really do. And I know some people are going to be unhappy about that. I get it. Uh, but, but it seems like those are the two kind of real trade chips for the Pacers this year. Okay, so let's go back. I know that question was long. So the actual question asked, is it time to cash in on um, one of the big's values? And if it is, would you prefer a high pick, a young upside player, or an established veteran? Okay, so yeah, apologies about that. I, I would say it is time to cash in because when Miles Turner was healthy, he was, you know, one of the best, you know, Obviously, I would say in my mind behind Rudy Gobert as probably the best rim protector in the league. I mean, shot blocker, number one. I think at that point, he fits many teams. He's still very young. He signed to an affordable contract. I think that at that point, it is the time to cash in rather than maybe running it back. And if it's having a kind of a, you know, if the Pacers are kind of having a little bit of a sluggish year, I don't think you're going to get that much in return. And what's kind of rough is, Alex, we've actually heard rumors where, it, it seemed like, I want to say, the Pelicans were offering the fourth overall pick at one point for Miles Turner. Then I remember when the Hawks were sitting at, I want to say, about is either five or six. I think it was the sixth overall pick. I remember hearing that flirted around. Now it seems like that's kind of dropped a little bit down to, you know, P.J. Washington. Maybe, you know, maybe you maybe if you're lucky, you could get the seventh overall pick and have to take on Andrew Wiggins' contract. So we have seen the value kind of slip a little bit. But I think that this is kind of the year that, hey, if you're going to capitalize on it, it's now or never. Yeah, so I think it is time to cash in on their value. I definitely think that I would prefer a young upside player. That is the route I would go. An established vet, like it sounds nice in theory, but like I've said before, I want to see some type of tier between our current core and their prime and a current core that could come up and be, you know, they're not in their prime completely yet. So that's that's where I lean and yeah, I just I think there's a lot of guys there, but at the same time, it just depends on what the value is for these guys. Because look, we might think Turner's value is much higher than it actually is. We could think Sabonis's value is much higher than it actually is, and then be disappointed in what we get back in a trade. You know, so that's where you have to really look at it because center is probably the least most important position in the NBA right now. I mean, it's yep. so important, but it's probably the least important. So, what are teams willing? You know, what are they going to be willing to give up? I haven't seen a team that really wants to give us anything worth of value for a Miles Turner and any, any, any mock trade scenario, like Bagley and nine is probably the best that I've seen in a while in terms of value for Turner. Most people want to give us like, you know, trash, like a trash contract with uh, uh, an okay pick, you know, yeah, that's kind of where I've seen it. Like people don't want to take on his contract. It's like, you know, or they want to give us like an overpaid guy like Porzingis. It's like, nah, I mean, none of these deals make a whole lot of sense, you know, so that's why I'm just like, they got to figure this out and, and get the right player that's that makes the most sense. So I want a young player, and then I would want a high pick, and then I want an established vet. That's kind of how I put them in order. But if you get a young upside player with a pick for Turner and something, like that would be awesome. So that's that's the route I'm going there, Eddie Gilburner. So uh, hopefully you uh, uh, you know enjoyed that answer. If not, hit me up and let me know what your answer would be. This one comes from at Chris tweeting. He said, who is the ideal GM should Kevin Pritchard be relieved? Ah, oh, man. I don't really know what other GMs are kind of floating out there. I feel like it always tends to be kind of a new up-and-comer. I, I do want to – I'm very interested to see, 
you know, what happens this year, because I feel like Pritchard bringing in Rick Carla. I mean, I just don't know how you could find a, you know, it's felt like a bulletproof move to me of like, wow, that that's a strong hire right there. So for right now, I want to see, I want to see it, you know, happen because what if this team is healthy and they could, you know, get to the second round or something where we're like, all right, maybe we were too hard on him. Uh, when it comes to who's, who's an ideal replacement candidate, I'd really have to start looking at who's the, the up and coming GMs that aren't GMs right now, because I don't think that someone's going to make an established GM is going to make a, a lateral move over to just become the Pacers GM. Yeah. It could be Peter Dinwiddie, a guy that was formerly here once. Okay. That's, yeah. That's, that's I remember that I had to keep an eye on. I mean, he was kind of the numbers guy. I think he went to Philadelphia, if I'm not mistaken. So they can maybe bring him back to be, you know, I, I believe he went to Phil. He, he did go to Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I remember him going there because I know they had interest in KP is at one time. So that would be my guy. I don't think Chad Buchanan makes it uh, if Pritchard is relieved. Um, it could be Kelly. Um, I always forget how to pronounce her last name, but uh, she was the GM of the fever mm-hmm. when they won their title. So maybe they give, uh, make her the first female, you know, president of basketball operations in the NBA. That'd be pretty cool. So that's, that's, I mean, those are some names to throw out there. I just, I just don't see it happening though anytime soon. And honestly, like at this point, like if he is be let go, I, I think there's more of a chance that Carlisle, Rick Carlisle is given the, uh, the opportunity to be head coach and president. If uh, Pritchard were to leave, I would be more, I would believe that more than bringing somebody in that's on the current staff right now. This is my opinion. It wouldn't shock me. It wouldn't. I, I think at this point right now, I, I think that Pritchard's got, you know, at, le- at least in a worst-case scenario, I, w- I would say he should be good through at least one to two years, you would think. But, you know, yeah. hey, crazier things have happened. Real quick, just back to Peter Dinwiddie. I thought it was always really cool. I respected about him. Started selling tickets for the team. Yeah, he, he was, yep. yeah, And made his way all the way up to the front office. I mean, I think that's just awesome. But, yeah, I know he did go over to Philly. But, uh, yeah, uh, hey, let's hope it doesn't come down to that. You know, I just want to win. And, and, and yeah. if you win, everything works out in the end. Absolutely. So here's another question we got from at Zlatic. Alex has a great first name. His name is Alex. He said, what is O'Shea's ceiling? Fachi? Man, uh, I think his ceiling is uh, – you don't want to limit a guy that you haven't seen terribly much of, but I think his ceiling is probably being a starter um, who's a, a productive starter. You know, I, I don't want to be the guy that kind of – you know, limits him, but I don't. I don't see him being an all star. I don't. I see him being a good player in this NBA that that sticks around. It would surprise me if a couple of years from now O'Shea wasn't in the league. I just feel like somehow this guy that slipped career that I could see this playing for ten years. I think that would be a huge success. Yeah, no, I mean O'Shea Brissett to me as a guy that could be a borderline starter. Yeah. For this team, like over his career, if they move on from Brogdon or they move on from Levert and, you know, they think that they got something in Brissett, he could be a starter. So I don't really know. I, I think right now it's too early to project what he could become. But I think right now he's going to be a rotational player. I think he could be, you know, um, a guy that's constantly getting about 20 to 25 minutes per game. His defensive abilities have, you know, got to get a little bit better. But I think that we saw some flashes from what he can do. I mean, played some small ball five as well. I mean, he's got that to him as well. So that's I, I like O'Shea Brissett. I don't think anybody is upset with O'Shea Brissett, and he's on a great contract, and he's just trying to prove prove that he belongs. So yeah, I think his ceiling is a you know a high up 
role player, potential starter, fifth starter on a team, but I don't know if he's like uh, on a starting. I don't think he's a starter on a team that wins a championship. If that makes sense. No, so. no. Personally, for me, I just don't see that for him unless he makes some huge leaps. But I do think that he is a difference maker and a really good solid bench player. Yeah, I don't want to limit the guy too much, but that's kind of where I see him as like, hey, if he's a starter in this league, guys, you got to remember he was on a 10-day contract. I mean, this is this is someone that wasn't expected to make it or make any impact in the NBA, and he carved out a, a nice role the Pacers landing to a multi-year deal. So if he could be a starter in this league, I, I think that, that things turned out successful for him. All right, so we have two more Twitter questions. We made it five, we went through all these questions, so appreciate you guys. Um, the one that I really, we already answered it. This comes from Machu Picchu U2. I don't know what in the world that handle is, but uh, go for it, my man. He said, what would it take to get Dame Lillard? I think we already talked about that. So if you want to listen to that answer, just head on back to the beginning of the podcast. I already talked about that. But our good friend Zachary Barnett at Z Barnett NBA said, what is the most you would give up in a trade for the for one of the wash point guards i.e. Kimball Walker, and then he put in Ben Simmons. So I don't know if Ben Simmons is <laughs> watched. Great. But uh, let's let's talk about maybe some of the guys like Kimball Walker, somebody we haven't talked about yet. I'm going to be honest. I don't have any interest in Kimball Walker. I don't think those knees are going to hold up through the end of that contract. I, I really think Boston made a really good move unloading Kemba. I know they saved like $17 million in the process, but um, I, I just think that that's someone right now that – Kemba's best years are behind him, and I think that it would be a bold move for the Pacers to make a move for Kemba when he's making, you know, towards the end of his career, end of the contract, almost $40 million per year. So I'd be much more interested in trading for Ben Simmons, who's significantly younger at that point uh, than Kemba Walker. Yeah, it's tough because if you look at Kemba Walker, the only kind of deal you can make is like Brogdon and Lamb for him because he makes so much money. And does Brogdon really make sense for, you know, OKC? No. Does Turner? Maybe a little bit. But it's just like, eh, nah, I mean, <laughs> I liked Kimba Walker three years ago. But, oh, yeah. yeah, but now I don't. So, I mean, I don't dislike him, I should say that. I just, yeah. he's had injury concerns. I don't want to deal with another guy that's injured. He's a little bit smaller. His defense is a liability in the playoffs. Um, he's got good offensive skills when he's healthy. There's times where you really like him, but you're just not sure what to think of him long-term. So, yeah, personally for me, if I'm looking at a washed point guard, I don't really even know if you consider him washed, but I would rather go the Mike Conley route. If oh, yeah, Utah, yeah, yeah. If Utah is more willing to part ways with somebody like that, if Toronto well, – he's going to be a free agent. Well, I'm saying if they do like a sign-and-trade because uh -huh. that's the only way we could get him, right? Yeah, so we yeah. couldn't get him any other way unless he took a massive pay cut, which I don't see happening. So. I don't see it either. Um, a Goran Dragic is another guy that could be a wash point guard. I think they could release him. Killed us in the playoffs. Yeah. And he's still a good player, but at the same he time, he did not look like himself this last no. playoff series against nope. the Bucks. So he's washed for sure. And then the other guy, Kyle Lowry. This is a guy that, you know, teams weren't even trading talent Horton Tucker for him. You know, Lakers fans were just like, we're not giving up THT, you know, a guy that really was a difference maker in that playoff series. Kidding, but – um, yeah, for, exactly. Kyle, for Kyle Lowry. But Kyle Lowry is a guy that's a free agent as well. Could he be dealt in a sign-and-trade? That's a possibility. Um, other than that, like another name that's a former Pacer guy that could make some sense is George Hill. $10 million a year for him with uh, Philadelphia. I know that there's been a lot of people that have put him in fake trades with Ben Simmons to make the salary match because his contract is so cheap. 
But I think that's another guy, like if you want to just a, a, a veteran leader, I think we had a question earlier about veteran leadership. Uh, I think, I think George Hill could be a welcome addition back to this team. Well, George Hill, make no mistake, I believe is probably one of the strongest trade candidates to be moved because I want to say only one to two million of his contracts guaranteed. Yeah. So I do think that, you know, out of the 10 plus million that he's on the books for, I think that that contract is going to be shopped around um, for another option. And he could also just be cut. So a George Hill reunion, it's something that on this show I've brought up a couple of times. I do think that the first time around, he wasn't really ready for that role, and it didn't help that he was traded for Kawhi Leonard. It kind of always made you a little bitter inside to know, like, oh, my God, Kawhi's a superstar, and what is George Hill? He's not quite a point guard. He's, he's a combo guard. He's undersized, but he's a good defensive guard. I mean, he can he can hit threes. I mean, he's someone that's actually developed into a really good three-point shooter. So I, I would welcome a, a George Hill reunion but the other guys they're just making way too much money to the point where a trade for Kemba Walker I mean sure if, if, if it is you know I mean I don't even want to say sure I'm down because if it's just Miles Turner and Jeremy Lamb because I've I to tell you the truth I value my I might I don't want to I don't know I don't want to say I value Miles Turner more than Kemba Walker oh I do at this point in their career, I do by I do, a long shot saying, like, like I value him more Kemba might be the better player, I value Miles Turner more because Kemba could give you 20 a night and, you know, maybe hit, hit big shots. But Turner at this point, for half the cost, being, you know, the top rim protector, just it's something that I, I have no interest in Kemba Walker. I really just don't. Yeah. I mean, if you're getting Kemba Walker, you better be getting some picks. Oh, oh my God. From you, OKC. So, I mean, at, at minimum, they have to attach a first round pick to him. And, yeah. and we're talking at least one. They got yeah, about, so. they got about 17. So, yeah, if you did if you did Turner, Jeremy Lamb for Kimba Walker in a pick, like I'm not even saying this year's pick, I'm saying like a future pick from somebody else, maybe that's the route I'm going. Uh, if I'm trying to trade Turner for for Kimba Walker in a deal, like I mean, and I really don't want to go that route because the Pacers are trying to win now, and Kimba Walker would have to be a starter. And quite frankly, I don't really like the fact that Malcolm Brogdon is the highest paid Pacer player because I don't think he's the best Pacer player. Now that can be up for debate, but I think that the core is Levert. Warren and Sabonis. So I just, I don't like paying Brogdon that much money. I don't think he's worth that much. And I think that him having that much money makes him feel like he has more of a say. You bring Kemba Walker in here and making 30 some million dollars a year. That's a lot of money for that too. So yeah, it's, um, it's, it's, it's tough, but yeah, I, I think that I would rather just figure out a different route to go and uh, try a different point guard if that's the case. But, yeah, I mean, if you can get a couple picks or a pick that's pretty good attached to it, then that makes more sense to trade for him. But still, at the end of the day, I don't love the idea. And Turner has much more value than Kimball Walker across the league. I mean, they literally got Al Horford and had to give a pickup for him. So that's that to me is where I think you can just look. Even if you think Kimba's the better player, which I think he, I don't think he is, I just think Turner has much more value than Kimball Walker across the league. Yeah, I mean, like like you just mentioned, Kemba was dumped. It was Kemba in the 16th pick. I mean, they dumped him. I mean, there's a lot of money coming his way, and just that's not a guy that I, I just want to bring on this Pacers team. And plus, right now we talked about Brogdon, but, like, if you have Brogdon, Kemba, and Harris LeVert, and you still have Sabonis over there, I mean, there's only one ball going around. You yeah. know, it's and there's there's too many options there, so it, it would just get too messy, and I'd rather remove myself. So, given the situation, yeah, I'd, I'd lean Ben Simmons over Kemba Walker. Absolutely. So we are out of time for today's episode. I apologize to all of our Instagram followers. We did not get to your questions, but have no fear. 
We are going to answer all of the Instagram questions next time me and Fachi get back together. So don't worry about that. Fachi, any final words before we part ways here? I would just say, hey, it's a great time to be a Pacer fan right now. I mean, we got the coach we wanted. You know, the, the draft is in essentially one month from today when you're listening. And, uh, you know, right now it just feels like there, there's a little bit of hope going on. And, and I want to ride that as long as we can. And, guys, if you haven't listened to uh, the episodes we have on our draft coverage, I mean, it's going to get you fired up because uh, that 13th pick we're put into use. And uh, I like our odds here, the way the 13th has gone for other teams. Yeah, no doubt about it. I know this is a lengthy episode, so I apologize for that. And I know with all of the questions, it can get a little bit like overlapping and stuff like that. But we tried our best to answer everybody's question because I know if I submit a question to a podcast for a mailbag and it gets read, I, I enjoy that. I hate when my questions aren't read when I send them to mailbags. But thankfully, we don't have 5,000 questions. So we only had about 25, 26. But try to answer them all. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Fachi, where can the people find us at on social media? You can find us on Twitter at SettingThePace3. You can find Alex on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. And you can find us on Instagram at PacersTalk. And at the end of the day, if you're a Pacer fan, say these three words. Let's go Pacers! The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine. Stop noticing. But you know better, and your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour 3-Month Emergency Food Kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com